If you're looking for great Christian content, we want to encourage you to check out peachtreepress.org. Peachtree Press LLC offers digital products, journals, books, Bible study guides, sermon outlines, Christian blogs, and church notebooks for children and adults. Some products are also available as print on demand. Peachtree Press is a sponsor of this program and a partner in offering authentic Christian content. For more information, check out peachtreepress.org. Welcome back, rappers, to our fourth season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button or follow us for content on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com for sermons, weekly blogs, books, study guides, and lots of free stuff. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's program. Wanted to mention something real quick today. Uh, going to be announcing this tonight, but y'all get the early announcement. Uh, I do the on-point devotionals every day. It's just two to three minute devotionals uh, on uh, this. This month we've been covering the books of Paul. Uh, in the month of December, we will focus on prayer. So it'll be 31 days on prayer. We'll be praying for ourselves, for missionaries, for our elders. Each day is a specific thing, and there's scriptures to go along with it. I've already posted it online, but I've been, we've had a lot of people comment, not just from our congregation, that enjoy those devotionals. And so um, last night, Misty and I are sitting there talking, and uh, sometimes we don't watch TV. We just sit and talk for hours. I don't, I don't know if anybody else does that, but we do. We just sit and talk, and I said... <clears throat> I really want us as a congregation to read through the whole Bible in 2024. And I was trying to figure out how to facilitate that because we can hand out the sheets with the boxes and you can check them as you go. Uh, And Misty said, why don't you just read it to them? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, why don't you just read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and put it online? So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to each day read about three chapters and that will be available on our Facebook page and on YouTube. Uh, and each day I will read those chapters aloud and uh, give us some text to think about for that day. It's going to take a lot on my part to read them and to edit them and put them online. But I've never done anything like that before. And if we're going to do three, four, five minute devotionals every day, we might as well do you know, a 10 minute devotional and read the Bible. So uh, not just if you've got bad eyesight or if you travel a lot and you find it difficult to set with your Bible open and read verse by verse, this will give you an opportunity to play it while you're working or or doing dishes or cleaning the house or traveling. But it will also give you an opportunity if you're home with your Bible open as I read it, you can make notes and highlight as we go. So we'll do it together. It'll be kind of a journey. It's going to be an experience. I've never done anything like this before. I have always said I wanted to record, not necessarily for everybody, but for my kids to hear me reading the Bible. I was going to do the New Testament. I've done First and Second Timothy and Titus. But um, so we're going to do it together. And each day I'll read uh, three chapters, probably around about. And uh, we'll just go from Genesis to Revelation through the year 2024. We're going to learn more in 2024. So uh, we'll be doing a lot of other studies throughout the year as well. The elders and I are, are working on the classes and sermons. I like to get a, a big preview for the year. 
And uh, so we'll have all that down. I, I, I know on Getting to Know Your Bible, I just taught Colossians in four weeks. So that'll be on Getting to Know Your Bible this year. So hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll read along with us and uh, go through. Another thing too, if you get in a pinch and say you missed two or three days, by having them recorded, you can actually play them uh, and, and, and follow along. If you get, and I know that happens, I get behind a day or two sometimes and you gotta get back to the schedule. Uh, we'll be pushing you along. So it's not just like you're reading on your own. We're reading together. And um, hopefully that'll work. Hopefully y'all will enjoy that. But um, that'll be something we start at the first of the year. All right, so we're in John chapter 7 today. And we left off here last week. I wish we had had time to get through it all, but we do not want to rush. Uh, we want to make sure that we get every detail. I'm, I'm a big believer in expository preaching and teaching because there are so many details that we may overlook when we read through the Bible in a hurry. So we're going to begin, uh, I think we left off at verse 36. Is that right? Is that what everybody else had? Okay, so we're going to start uh, just real quickly. We talked about Jesus' brothers. We talked about his brothers and sisters and that they doubted uh, his Messiahship. We also talked about his uh, teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles. And we talked about the significance of the tabernacles and, uh, and, and him being lettered, educated. He knew a lot more than the Pharisees thought he did. And then there's questions that come up as to whether or not he's the Christ. Uh, I didn't really address this, but we did in, a, in I think, chapter 1, that Jesus' ministry parallels the ministry of John the baptizer. So there was some confusion as to whether or not John was Elijah to come, because that's the prophecy. He'll come in the spirit of Elijah. Or if Jesus was the one who was prepared the way for the Messiah. So they wrestle with that. Uh, and Jesus just doesn't fit their mold. They want somebody to come in with a sword and just slaughter the Romans. They wanted the Romans out. They wanted the occupation gone. And, um, and Jesus instead is a scholar. He's a teacher. He's a miracle worker. He's not a military general, and that, that bugged him, bugged the snot out of him until the day he died. Um, so we pick up at verse 37, and this is where we uh, start the fifth sermon, the, fir- the, the fifth discourse, which is about living water. So let's begin there uh, at verse 37. It says, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, and as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Keep reading with me there, verse 40. Therefore many of the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Now some of them wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. So in this little section, um, it's the seventh day of the feast, the last day, significant that they're going to be packing their tents up and going home. As I mentioned last week, it was kind of like a camping experience out in the wilderness, or at least on the edge of town. Uh, It's kind of like maybe if you put a a tent in your backyard, you know, you've still got the bathroom and the bed inside if you change your mind. I've done that with my kids before. Uh, So we used to hang hammocks at the house down here. We would hang hammocks outside when it was nice and cool. 
And then if you needed to go in and get something to drink, you went inside. So we weren't really camping, but we thought of it as camping. And so Jesus starts talking about living water. Now he's talked about bread, and uh, he's talked about water in John chapter 4 with the woman at the well. But now he says, and, and this is at the end of the feast when they're wrapping everything up, and he stands up and says, hey, if anybody's thirsty... Just send them to me because I have water that lasts forever. The sermon is very short. The message, just this big, but it had some far-reaching ramifications. That Jesus says the same thing he says to the woman in John 4. I've got water that you can drink of and you'll never thirst again. So let's, let's try to put ourselves in the audience that day. You know, we've, we've spent a week out with our kids we were talking about the wilderness, talking about Moses and the promised land. And now as we are packing up, Jesus says, I have living water. What's going through your mind when you hear him say that? What are you thinking? And obviously you're probably going to be thirsty if you're packing things up and getting ready to head home. Some of them had quite a distance. And they probably were filling up their little, their little canteens, their little cloth canteens with water. So what are you thinking when you hear him say, I've got living water, and if you drink, you'll never be thirsty again. If you believe in me, uh, you'll have a flow of water that never ends. I think it's tragic. But the worst thing I think of is a little out of context here. I think of him on the cross and saying, I thirst. Yes. That is a poignant moment to me that the source of living water is just asking for it. Less than a cup of cool water. That's right. That's right. And I think uh, there in that context, again, it'd be good for, for us to study the prophecies about Jesus's life because what Jesus is doing is fulfilling prophecy when he asks for that drink. Um, what else do you think of when you hear him say living water? Yeah. Well, when you say never thirst, yeah. that's what's really appealing because you get out in the desert. Right. And you're always thirsty, so if you had the opportunity to drink and never thirst and go all the way across the desert like they did, that right. would be great. Yeah. I'll be honest, uh, this, is a, this sounds a little uh, uh, maybe selfish, but I prefer restaurants that have unlimited beverage refills. I don't know why, but I will go into a, if I go into a Wendy's or a Burger King, I don't go in often, usually get to the drive-thru, but if I go inside, I want to know that I can get refills because I'm constantly thirsty. Uh, in fact, I'll, I'll drink two or three glasses of water at dinner. Um, I even have to take, and I refill these every day. I have like three different ones, but um, I've been, ever since I had COVID in 2021, I, I, I cannot quench my thirst. I mean, I've been to the doctor, I've, I've tried... Um, different types of um, like uh, there are powders that you can put in your water that make it thicker and I've tried that I've tried all kinds of things but I am constantly dry mouth that's why you see me if you remember when I started preaching here in 2020 or 2019 when I filled in I never took drinks to the pulpit didn't need them but now you never see me without one and uh, it's one reason why I preach a little faster on Sunday morning because <laughs> don't have anything up there to drink so if I take a drink, you know you're in for a long haul, you know. Um, but yeah, we get thirsty. And the tradition of that day was when your cup 
is overflowing or your cup is always full, it's a sign of hospitality that you want somebody to stay. You keep filling their drink like you would at a restaurant. If they want you to stay at the table, they keep filling the drink. But when they want your table, your the glass is this big. And they'll be like, y'all need anything? Yeah, I'd like a refill, you know. Yeah, Jane? I wonder why Jesus spoke using the language that he used, like he was referring to living water. Right. Why didn't he refer to salvation? Why didn't he yeah. come out plainly and say, Right. You know, hey, I'm going to die for you and you right. have to be able to have forgiveness of yeah. sin. It's kind of like, I think Jesus is trying to entice conversation. So he uses metaphors that they automatically beg the question, what is he talking about? And it's kind of like, you know, um, if you hear somebody use an illustration or say something and you want to know more information, you come and you ask them, what, what, are, you, what are you talking about? What's that illustration about? It's kind of like people that don't finish their... Sentences. That's right. You know, you know what, what's next? What are you, what, what you, you going to say, Ben? Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. I would understand what he's talking about. Yeah. No, you're you're looking for a right. And what's water got to do with it? You know, I want a sword. I want a sword. And and being it, Jesus is saying you're not going to thirst. And he also refers to a river that that will never run dry. Now that's a that's a reference back to a prophecy from Isaiah. And this is what some of our Jewish friends still are waiting on. This they're still waiting for. Uh, this prophecy of Isaiah to come true because they think it's the third temple. But Jesus is referring to the New Testament church as the temple of God. In fact, Paul does that. First and second Corinthians were the temple of God. So the third temple prophecy from Isaiah and Ezekiel and other prophets is a reference to the New Testament church that he, we, have, we are the temple of God and his Holy Spirit now resides in us, not in some tent or in some temple. Uh, so it's really just an attention grabber. He could have said salvation is, is of, of me. You know, you can't be saved unless you come through me. He does that in John 14, but it's right before he dies. Um, these moments were to entice people to come and ask a question. Well, you can't live without water. Right. And to live without Christ is to die. Yeah. And he, and he says those, those rivers that flow, flow out of him. So there is an unquenchable uh, thirst that man has for a relationship with God. And, and Jesus says, I'll fill that. But as he fills us up, we overflow to the people around us. And so it is a source of water that continues to flow. And it flows out of each of us. So salvation comes from Christ, but we are the ones that are empowered by the gospel to share the message of Christ. There's no angels jumping down here and telling people what they need to do to be saved. God isn't showing visions on what you need to do to be saved. He's given us his word, and he's also empowered us to be, as we're, you know, as Paul talks about earthen vessels or clay pots that are holding something that has some great treasure or value, uh, we're supposed to take the message of hope to the world. So literally his, his living water flows through us to other people. And if we do not share, it's kind of like we just shut that source off, 
You know, if I've had, I just planted a bunch of trees um, this spring and early summer, and I had to water like crazy because if we didn't, the trees would die. I've had some die because it was such a bad drought this year. Uh, And so I'm constantly watering and watering and watering. But if I had turned that water source off, like I did at the back of my property where I put two trees and they died because I couldn't get water to them. It was too far for the hoses and I just finally just gave up, you know. Um, I ate the $40 for the two little $20 trees. But if you're at a water source, you can drink all day long. And if you and I are walking with the Lord and we have that living water flowing through us, we should never be thirsty. Uh, There are other times Jesus uses this illustration. One is in the Sermon on the Mount. Remember in the Beatitudes about hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Well, remember he said in uh, in Matthew chapter 3 when he's baptized, it was to fulfill all righteousness. So once we are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, in baptism, by the way, living water, we raise up to walk in a new life that never ends. We are now a new creature and we have an eternal life that will extend beyond forever. There is no end to it. And so that living water is essential. And uh, I think people begin to kind of question this language and they say this has got to be a prophet and he can't when he talks like this remember earlier in the same chapter the the pharisees were obsessed with this how is he so well lettered how come he is so well educated how does he know the scriptures but jesus didn't just teach prophecy and scripture he was forthtelling. so he's actually giving future references to things that will happen and he's showing miracles so it's unlike anything they have have seen in over 400 years. And so they, uh, they're kind of shocked. They don't know what to do with him. And so it says in verse 43, there's this division. You know, is he a prophet or is he not? Is he the Messiah or is he not? Yeah. Going back to the living waters, um, Isaiah 53, 6. Or, yeah, sorry. My dyslexia kicked in. No, you're fine. 5 or 6. Yeah. And shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing, where in the wilderness shall waters break out from streams in the desert. So to me that means if you take on Christ, you're, you're, you're going to be restored. That's right. That's right. And that, that's one of those prophecies I was referring to that some of our, our Jewish friends believe that the, the temple is yet, the third temple is yet to be established. Uh, they they have gone through very uh, carefully now, if you watch any of these uh, programs on television, uh, to show some of the prophecies of the Old Testament are, it seems to be, being fulfilled again. And so they, they you can call it a dual fulfillment prophecy, call it whatever. But people see uh, something happen. I mean, God forbid there be some war on the battlefield of Megiddo, if that happens, people are going to lose their minds because that is a reference in Revelation. And people are thinking with what's going on between Hamas and Israel and really Iran and Israel that they're going to have this battle in Megiddo. And if they do, people are going to go crazy because Revelation uses the same mountain, the same valley. And uh, just to be quite honest with you, if you look at a map, that territory is about this big. So when you're looking at Israel, it's not the United States. There's only so many valleys and hills you can fight on. So, of course, they're going to fight in that valley and, and mountain multiple times throughout the years. But this, this is one of those prophecies. Yeah, James? The Jews have been hated all the way back in B.C. Right. All through the years. And to me, it, that 
with Jesus being a Jew, it makes it that much more difficult for people to believe that he is the Christ. Right. Right. Yeah, and how come many more didn't accept him? You know, in that day, why didn't more Jews follow him uh, is another reason why they have this criticism that they don't think Jesus was the Messiah. Jews do not. They, they're still waiting. Now, Josephus, who was a very famous Jewish historian, says, quote, if it could be said he was the Christ, or it may say he is the Christ. And so Josephus saw him as a Messiah-like figure, but the, many of the Jews did not. And I will say this too, kind of taking a little, uh, little rabbit for just a moment. Uh, it does fascinate me that in our culture, we've had a, a generation, we've had really since 9-11, this fear that of Islamophobia, you know, and we, oh, you can't say anything disparaging about someone who's Islamic and you can't racially profile people and you, we've got to be careful that we're very sensitive to people that are, uh, are of that religion and more inclusive regarding people that are Islamic. But yet, those same people that were on television doing interviews and those same professors that are teaching in the very same classrooms and schools they were at the time it was recorded in the early 2000s are now standing with those Muslims against the Jews. And they're protesting. They're getting their students to come out and protest. So just be careful when somebody tells you, we have to be inclusive because really that means one dynamic. Because minority includes Jews. Jews are in the minority in the world. So to say that, that those that are Islamic are more valued than those that are Jews, you just wait. Because if they will do what they're doing right now to the Jews in Israel, they'll do the same thing to Christians all over the world. We're in the same boat. I mean, we, even in Jesus' day, they combined a lot of the Jews and the Christians. That's why we have to pay attention. And I don't think I know that a lot of our young people have no clue what I'm talking about. Now you do, because you understand history, and you remember being taught World War II history, and the fact that the whole world didn't want to get involved in Hitler's killing Jews. Well, they paid the price, millions of them, and then we ended up getting thrust into the battle only because they decided to bomb Pearl Harbor. If they hadn't done that, we probably wouldn't have gotten into the situation that we were. In fact, our Navy at that point was already smaller than it should have been, and so a lot of things happened around the World War II time frame. And, and with Russia mess going on, same thing. And that day they didn't know, is Russia going to side with one or the other? And if Hitler hadn't invaded Russia, they probably wouldn't have been heavily involved like they were. And Hitler obviously was defeated very quickly after that. So there's a lot of history that is repeating itself today. And if we're not careful and paying attention to this persecution against Jews, even though we're Christians, it's going to pass... To us too, because they will. If they're going to persecute Jews, they're going to persecute Christians, and it's Muslims versus the world. And uh, and and sadly, a lot of those Islamic countries are friendly with a lot of communist countries, and that path of socialism uh, and that path of Islam are going to merge, and that'll be the largest majority of people on the planet. I mean, there's there's nations right now that have militaries that are, you know, probably the same size as ours. Uh, if not pretty close to it. They may not have necessarily all the weapons and stuff. But now we're talking about nuclear warfare. And, you know, when you got Iran with uh, the capability of nuking Israel at any time, look, everybody talks about that. And I know I'm, on a, I'm not trying to get political, 
But if they do decide to do something to Israel, they're not just going to hit Israel. They've got to hit the other places where uh, the troops will come to save them. They didn't. They didn't hit Washington D.C. You know, the Japanese did not. Or the yeah, the Japanese did not hit Washington D.C. They didn't hit uh, Florida or Texas. They went and hit Pearl Harbor. So if even though at that time Hawaii was not a state, if you'll remember, but there are places that we have people in, say near Taiwan, near China. And we have places in the Middle East that are not up against the coast. That's where they're going to hit because they know that we'll be the first ones to jump in and fight. So these are, I'm not trying to scare us. I'm just saying these are, these are sensitive things. And if we're not attuned to what's happening to the Jews, we're not going to be ready when it hits us too. And it, It'll it, be a domino effect when it, yeah. it ever starts. Yeah. I mean, we, we've, got, we've got a generation of kids that don't even know what a man and a woman is, you know. And they're, they're wearing tails and ears to school. And, and, and I mean, I, I, it scares the daylights out of me. You know, I worry about my boys going. What's that? They don't even know who fought No, no. Don't even know what it was. Yeah. Well, and they've destroyed, they've destroyed any artifacts and any pictures and any statues that even resembled the Civil War. So they do that so they can tell it from their perspective. See, if you, if you destroy all the history, you get to rewrite the history, and that's what they've done. And we've kind of sat back and said, well, we want to be inclusive, and we, want to, we don't want to offend anybody, so let's just erase our history and rewrite it. That's not the way to do it either. So there's a reason why they haven't put a, a giant golf course on Gettysburg Field. You know, why, why haven't they done that? Well, because it's a history lesson. But one of these days, uh, they're going to tell the history from their perspective. We'll be on the wrong side of it. So that's why we got to educate, educate, educate. I think it'd be great if this year, when we had COVID 2020, they all learned on the computer. I say learned on the computer. We're way behind. But we need to take six months to a year and just teach our kids the history of at least from 1941, 1940, 41 to present. I mean, they need a whole year of that because we're seeing it again. And it, it does scare me. Sorry. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, not to freak everybody out in this room, but they're already rewriting history books. As yes, we speak. they are. And George Washington up to 2020 is basically gone. Mm-hmm. Joe Biden is the very first president of the United States that the United States has ever had. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the hard part of rewriting history is... There will be people that know the truth, and if there are people who know the truth and try to speak the truth, if they can't discredit them or manipulate them, uh, they have to get rid of them. And and you know a lot of political, uh, a lot of countries, if there is someone who is oppressive, watch when watch when Putin runs for president, if you want to call it that. The guy who runs against him, if there is anybody, they're always soft candidates. You know, it's just kind of like somebody that I disagree with him, but, you know, then later he's in the cabinet. It's never someone that opposes. If they do, this has happened in China and it's happened in Russia before. If they're majorly opposed to it, those candidates will disappear. What happened to them? Well, they'll go to exile somewhere else or they swim with the fishes, you know. Um and this is what will happen in our country if we if we don't use our Second Amendment, you know, First and Second Amendment rights. So. Um, That's probably happened in the United Yeah. Well, I know that they're. I know from firsthand experience they're rewriting history. They did it with evolution, and we let them do it. 
you know. Evolution, Darwinism is a, is a religious perspective of how the world came into being. I mean, it's a religion, whether it, it qualifies. And they said separation of church and state. Well, they've created a state religion of Darwinism, and they have pushed it on our kids for the last 40, 50 years. So that rewrites part of our history, too. But that's, that's, that's religious, they say. But no, it, they're rewriting everything when they do that. Um, you know, the term dinosaur didn't even exist until the late 1800s. There are many presidents that didn't even know what the word dinosaur meant. We've, we've invented that word. Uh, they're just large creatures, you know, and we know there were a lot of large creatures on the earth many years ago. They were called dragons. <laughs> they were called behemoth and leviathan. But we've, we've suddenly come up with this carbon system of dating and we're finding all these bones, and they're taking a bone here and a bone here and a bone here and going, oh, this must be what it is. But most of the dinosaurs, if you want to call them that, were small creatures. There's only a handful of those big ones, you know. And then they're trying to, they're trying to graft and do DNA uh, on these woolly mammoths and trying to recreate them. Did you know that? They're recreating a woolly mammoth. Well, it's just going to look like a big elephant. <laughs> and they're going to go, oh, well. We thought it had fur, you know, so. And well, what kind of a noise does a woolly mammoth make? Well, a lot like an elephant. Yeah, Ben? I'm going to say, how many can you create? Whenever God brought all the animals to uh, Adam to name, mm-hmm. what were you naming them? Were they? Yeah, he had to have named them. Adam would have named him. Noah would have had some on the ark. But remember that the, 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 the earth before the flood was kind of like a, uh, I forget the word they use, starts with a T. Terrarium. Terrarium, yeah. So it's like a, a very moist, jungle-like atmosphere with pers- precipitation coming from top and bottom. Firmament is what we call it. And, or at least what the Bible calls it. And so it was like a, um, a perfect paradise of, 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 a, of warm climate. And so everything adapted to that atmosphere, and they lived for a long time, and they got very large. So it would make sense that after the ark, and that, that dissipates, and that firmament is gone, that those animals would not get as large, and likewise... Humans won't live as long. It's just it's just a simple, simple thing. But because um, we did, humans lived for a long time. Oh, me, me, uh, you know, Methuselah wasn't really nine hundred and sixty nine years old. Well, the Bible says he was. And what's really cool is Noah would have lived on the same planet at the same time as even Adam. It would have been about this long. But Noah knew Adam and Adam's descendants, so of course he would have got the story, and he would have shared that with his children, and that's why we have it. Moses tells us in the in the Old Testament story, but it's a it's really unique, and I do think we need to teach more about um, apologetics to our ch- to our children. We all need it too. But um, going back to this idea is that Jesus is such a great teacher, but they aren't used to seeing it. They're not used to hearing it, and so sometimes when we hear things that we don't agree with, we just walk away from it. But but if we'll listen long enough, we probably can learn something. I mean, even a, even a broken clock's right twice a day, right? So somebody who is a complete buffoon can sometimes say something that makes sense. 
This is one reason why we're seeing in our culture now people that are far right that are actually getting along with far left. Because the farther left you go, the more actually legalistic you meet it coming back around. So you'll see guys that are anti-war, anti-war on the left and anti-war, anti-war on the right and go, how can they get along? Because they've met all the way back around, stretches. So, um, so Jesus is simply trying to get people to come to him and ask questions. You know, come, come ask me what living water is. Come ask me how you can receive it. Uh, and then let's look at this last little section, beginning at verse 45. Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you brought him? The officers answered, No man ever spoke like this man. Then the Pharisees answered them, Are you also being deceived? Have, you, have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. Nicodemus, I remember him from John 3. Nicodemus, he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. So this is, again, um, there's a misunderstanding of where Jesus came from. Previously they said, Oh, he's from Galilee. Well, we know Jesus, or we know the Messiah was supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Well, guess what? Jesus is born in Bethlehem. They just didn't ask. They assumed. And you know what that does. So don't assume. So assuming that Jesus is not from Bethlehem is, is silly because we know that, that both prophecy fulfilled and of Jesus' own story in the Gospels, that's where he was born. There's no question to that. Uh, and the second thing now is they're saying, well, no prophets ever arisen from there. Well, that's not true either. In fact, the Bible says, and I quote, he will be called a Nazarene. Okay, Jesus is from what city? Nazareth. So he, of course, is a Nazarene. So these guys who claim to know the Bible so well backward and forward had their facts wrong. And the issue that the, the people of the day had, and this is why I believe the timing of Jesus' coming was so perfect, is their religious elite had reached a place where they told you what prophecies were being fulfilled and they told you what the Bible said. You could not question it. If you ever wanted to question a rabbi, you had to stand in line and you had to be vetted before you ask a question. You were not allowed to give an opinion. You weren't allowed to share your thoughts because you didn't go to the right kind of school. And this can happen in the church too. Um, I'm all about education. You know that. I, in fact, I'm still going to school. I've been taking classes since I was five years old. I just can't stop. I love learning. Um, and I have letters at the end of my name too. But I am amazed at how many times if we, are, if we sit down and let somebody teach us, how much more we have to learn. There, there is absolutely no way I'll learn everything I need to know about the Bible. That's why I want to grab teachers. Missy's working on her degree, another degree, but I'm taking classes with her for audit just to follow along, just to see uh, all these, these you know, new horizons and new teachers that can broaden my perspective of, of the world and, um, and challenge me when it comes to the Bible. But in this day, you couldn't do that. They would have never permitted a class like this. First of all, uh, we couldn't sit in the same part of the room. You know, you ladies couldn't sit here. You'd have to be back there, and you can't say a word. I mean, you back there, you got the kids. You need to take care of the kids. That's it. So the guys had the questions. The women were never allowed to ask a question, and they were never sitting in a mixed class. 
And they were never given an opportunity to ask questions about the text, which is why Jesus is so fascinating in Luke chapter two, when he goes in and starts asking questions. And then it says, and they were asking him questions and he was giving answers. How's this 12 year old boy giving answers to deep theological questions? How is that possible at his age? Yeah, James? Uh, was this audience the same audience that had just witnessed a miracle? That yes. Did? Yes. They're the same same group of people that had camped now with him for a week in the wilderness. Yeah. And they have seen the miracles. They've heard his teaching. And this is why Nicodemus finally comes to confront. Now, Gamaliel does this in the book of Acts. But, but, but Nicodemus is saying, hey, look, could we, could we get some confirmation on who he is? And I love their response. This is a, this may step on a few toes and that's okay. But if somebody crosses you, okay, and, and, and they do something or their consistent behavior is they oppose you, do you call them crazy? Well, they're just crazy. She's crazy. He's lost it, you know, right? That's the first, you, there's, no, there's no I could be wrong. There's no I'd like to hear their perspective. It's just, well, she's crazy. We all knew that, you know. It's kind of like, it just, they're nuts. They're just, they're, they're, they're lost. They're off the deep end, you know. We don't, we, we automatically assume that if they're not for us, they're against us. So the Pharisees' mindset was, if there's anybody that doesn't do it the way we like it and doesn't go to the school we tell them to, they're accursed. Now, you know what it means to be accursed? Accursed is to be given the same treatment as a demon. They are lost eternally. They're going to hell. That's what they're saying. Any guy that comes out here and starts teaching or doing miracles and we don't approve him, they're going to hell. And not only that, they'll also say to people, oh, he's doing miracles? That must be by the power of the devil. And I mean, to think that Jesus could be doing these grand wonderful things to convince the world he's the Messiah. And the one group of people that refuses to hear him or believe in him is the religious people who read their Bible every day. And they read the scrolls, they memorized the scrolls. Those, those rabbis, those Pharisees, uh, the priests, the, the scribes, as they're called, they knew the Bible backward and forward. But they were so blind that unless you fit their mold, you can't, you can't speak. I mean, they didn't like him talking. They wanted to shut him up. And that's the reason they kill him is because they could not debate him. And if you can't debate him, he must be crazy and let's kill him. It's a terrible commentary on the world at that time. But the same thing can happen today. Uh, we can become so pious and believe that we've got everything right. And we become so negative towards anybody else that we don't hear their point of view. And I think we need to do that. You know, I, I mentioned last year. I think probably March or April was the last time I talked to him. But we had a couple of guys that would come here for Bible studies regularly. And I welcomed them in. Uh, they were elders, if you know what I mean, by name. They had little name tags and drive little shiny bicycles. Um, that's why I never wear a tie on a bike, you know, be, be considered. But anyways, we would have Bible studies and we would go over all kinds of stuff. And, um, and I told them, I said, maybe I can learn something from you. And maybe you can learn something from me. And so we would talk. We conversed through the internet as well. But there came a point where he, I think the guys decided that they weren't going to, to get me to believe anything that they taught. And so they quit coming. 
But I kept telling him, I want to learn more. Tell me more. And I would ask questions. Like I have, I have a book down there in my office that uh, I did this when I was in Idaho. I decided there were so many Mormons in Idaho that I decided I was going to study the Book of Mormon. And I took my Bible, and this is before the internet, or at least I didn't have the internet. This is before, uh, we didn't have cable TV, so my only thing I could do was read. And so I would just read my Bible, and I would read the Book of Mormon, and I began making notes. And that, that book's like this thick with sticky notes and markers. And so I not only put where I saw it contradicted scripture, but if I saw a contradiction to a previous Book of Mormon passage, I would mark it. You know, where it says the polygamy's okay, and then it says you're supposed to have one wife. Or if it says that... Um, uh, all can be saved, or at least the, the salvation of the gospel should be for all. There's a section that talks about those that were accursed, anyone with dark skin. So how is that if they're all saved? So things like that I would, I would question. Um, and so we kept having this conversation. I kept pulling out information. And what they wanted to do was me to just blindly accept what they were saying. And instead I was like, well, let's look in your book and see where that's found. And what about this passage? And uh, so I think they just finally said, they were done. They were nice, but they just they just didn't come back. Yeah. Yeah, I had a not quite that in depth similar experience, but I did meet with one of the elders, and um, they finally came back to me and told me that they weren't allowed to talk to me because they needed to have their, their bishop with them. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Okay, and that's what happened. I never followed them. Yeah. But they had to have their bishop come to visit. Yeah, that's. I had one guy in Idaho, he came and studied with me twice, and uh, he had to bring his bishop. And when they came back, um, we had talked about the baptism for the dead. And he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not really sure that I believe that the way that it's taught. And, and the bishop's like, well, what, what he means to say is he needs to study more on this before we talk about it. That was the last time he came. And that weekend, no joke. Uh, I was reading a paper, and it said Elder Gomez has been shipped back to Salt Lake. So he he this guy who was or wherever he was shipped off to, but he he uh, uh, he they and their the paper because there's so many every week they tell where all these missionaries are going and their their uh, their process and stuff, which is fascinating. They could put that in the paper, but yeah, he got shipped off. So and I didn't ever see Elder Ford again, um, but. Sometimes people want to study with you, but only to convince you you're wrong. So let's learn on the flip side of that. If we approach someone, and we obviously know what the gospel teaches, we know what the Bible teaches, or we should know. When we approach someone with the attitude that I know the answer, and I want you to know the answer, that that turns people away. Instead, there needs to be an atmosphere where let's just open the Bible and see what it says. And I think that that is more uh, receptive. People are more receptive to it. If you just say, let's just open our Bible and let's see what the Bible says about it. Instead of going with, uh, I want to read this and I want to tell you what you need to believe. Um, the best Bible studies I have are without any, any paperwork. It's just, let's just open our Bible and talk. Let's just have a conversation. And the religious elite of Jesus' day refused it. They would not listen. And anybody who didn't follow their line of thinking, that's why they basically kicked Nicodemus out. We, we assume he's on the outs because he goes and picks up Jesus' body, helps to bury him with Joseph of Arimathea later on in the same book. So um, it makes you wonder uh, why people are so harsh 
and will not listen. I know there are probably people in our own lives, we just want to shake them, you know. <laughs> Would you just hear me? Yeah. So, um, I've, I've had conversations with uh, Catholics, and um, I have a very close friend who actually lived with me for about nine years, and I would discuss the Bible with her, and her reason for not wanting to make change was because she would have to admit that her uh, parents and her brother and all of those people were condemned. Yeah. I know a lot of people like that. Um, I will also tell you that uh, in, when we were in Gulf Shores, we had a lady. She was in her 90s. She read Muscle and a Shovel, the book, and uh, she made the decision she wanted to be baptized. So she was baptized, and um, she was excommunicated from the Catholic Church in Gulf Shores. And that is a, a known fact. She, she couldn't play bingo anymore. She wasn't allowed to go to the ladies' lunches. Her friends never called her again. And so she had to start over in her 90s with our church family. And so I told our congregation, I said, we need to, we need to bring her in. Like she has all of her families in Canada. I said, we need to bring her in. We need to, to help her. We need to do whatever we can for her, for her family. For her family's sake, I kept updated with the family in Canada. And we, we started you know, taking meals over there, started working on her house, little projects that needed to be done. We were on a constant phone rotation anytime she needed something. Because she wasn't just a widow, she was also a new Christian. But it made me sick to my stomach. Because two or three of her best friends, they did everything together. Not just game nights and not just shopping and stuff like that. But they would get together and, and spend quality time just working on projects. And they turned their backs just completely. And so uh, we do have to be sensitive to that. Some people that are new Christians, they have to give up a lot. Jesus says some will have their parents turn against them. You know, their moms, their dads, their children. Um, so, you know, make sure that you look out for the new, new Christians. But most religions are like that. If you leave uh, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, uh, Catholics too, if you leave, it is, you know, it's, it, it, they cut you off. You are, something is really wrong with you. And that's why I'm so fascinated so many Jews are turning to Christ. So many Jews are becoming Christians during this persecution time. Instead of being more drawn back to their uh, native you know, religion, they're wanting to know about Jesus because they're searching for a Messiah and they hadn't seen him yet. So they're thinking maybe Jesus is the Messiah, which he is, which is really, really good. Um, any other thoughts on these, these verses here that we've talked about? Jesus I was thinking that it must have been very hard in that day because of all those things you just mentioned about how they had to be so submissive to the rabbis and the, and the mm-hmm. teachers and the Pharisees and all that to accept Jesus and It did, and Jesus was also extremely personable. A lot of the, the religious elite were so pious and so high and mighty that you remember the, the story of the, the publican and the Pharisee where Jesus says that, you know, that the tax collector beats his breast and have mercy on me, a sinner. 
and, and the pious Pharisee stands there and goes, Lord, thank you for not making me like this tax collector. And they had a saying in their day, a prayer of the Pharisees was, Lord, thank you for not making me um, a Gentile. Thank you for not making me a publican. Thank you for not making me a woman. They prayed those kinds of prayers that they felt that they were on the high of this ladder. And I'm, I'm going to say something else, too, that uh, Ron, Ron mentioned this just a moment ago for a place that he visited. I think it's very important. And I'm, you know, preachers come and go. They're a dime a dozen. You know, I, I, can, I can be gone tomorrow and there'll be 10 wanting to take my spot. I plan on staying here as long as I can. But if we have a minister, not just a pulpit minister, a youth minister, any other position, it's, it is hard for the congregation to, rate to relate to somebody who is just not friendly. And, and I've been to churches before where the preacher gets done with his sermon and he's gone. He's gone. There's no shaking hands. There's no talking. There's no. And we go, well, why is it when, why is that church isn't having any baptisms? Why is it that church not, not growing? Because the minister is an introvert and it's okay to be an introvert for the most part, but we have to come, preachers have to come out of their shell and we need to be, and, and elders, deacons, all of us really need to be friendly and these guys who were leading the kingdom at that time, the Jews, were the most unfriendly, you know, high and mighty, pious people you could ever imagine. They even dressed a certain way. And you watch some of these churches that are dying now. They're having to include homosexuality to grow because those guys have paraded around in costumes and stood in a pulpit that this high... And say, we're the educated ones, we teach our creed, and you have to follow. And those churches are dying. Non-denominational churches are springing up on every corner. They're all over the place. Every storefront in Foley's got one. We don't even know what they're doing. Where'd they come from? Who's the pastor? We don't know. They're just springing up, popping up all the time. And those churches that have the, the, the image of the clergy, you know, and their guys are doing the incense and blessing people and you can't have communion unless I put it in your mouth. Those religions are dying because people want personality. They want to, they want to relate to somebody. And if we ever get to a point where our leaders aren't with the people, you have to smell like sheep. If they're not, the church will never survive. And Jesus was personable. Yeah, Tim. I saw a banner uh, advertising a bazaar coming up. Okay, I don't think I read this right, and I had enough time to take a picture of it. But it said St. John's Baptist Catholic Church. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, what? What? How does that work? <laughs> I'm like, you know, yeah. that makes absolutely no sense. Yeah, there's one in Florence that says, uh, it's out there on County Road. No, it's, it's right off County Road 8. It's before you turn in, like you're going to Pine Hill. And it says, uh, there are whole, they used to be a holiness church. Now they're a Baptist church with a Pentecostal move. That's what's on their sign. Baptist church with a Pentecostal move. So they're Baptist, but they're full of the Spirit. So you walk in, they teach Southern Baptist doctrine, but they're running around the pews, you know, yeah. chasing chickens and snakes. Yeah. Now, just before we left Colorado, um, there was a lot of down on the names that would what the church was called in the Bible. Right. And different names and those kind of things. And as we've driven through the different uh, states, we have seen many, many churches not named any of the normal names right. that we normally see. You know, your 
but we have seen all kinds of, like you said, every place you go, yeah. you see, you know, here's, here's the church of, I hope to win the lottery. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, they're that silly. And, and they have storefronts and they're bringing people in. And it's like, right. What on earth are they doing here? Yeah. Word of Life Fellowship, you know, um, Banner of Love. There's one in, in up in Henderson, Tennessee called the Truth in Love Church. So uh, what does that mean? It means that they are something, but they don't want you to know. Most of those are Baptist churches with a better website and a better sign. That's all it is. They just drop the Baptist name. And a lot of churches of Christ are doing this now, too, because they want to bring more people in. So they just say, well, what if we just, and you know, what if we just took... Uh, of Christ off the sign. What if we just put Somerdale Church? Is that representative of who we are? Absolutely. We're the church in Somerdale. So we could take that off the sign. But taking Christ's name off of something ought to trigger, like you, you ought to feel guilty. Like it's almost like with Christmas, you know, Christmas, I, I, sometimes I spell uh, uh, Christ with all caps and must with little. <laughs> so it kind of, triggers people's memories. Oh yeah, Jesus, it's not about Santa. Um, but the idea is some churches just want to erase those denominational lines from the outside, but on the inside, they still go to those seminaries and they still part of those conventions. And the Southern Baptist Convention had to several years ago finally agree to allow this or they were going to lose a huge um, majority of their people because a lot of the Southern Baptist churches said, we can't grow with SBC on the sign. We can't. UMC, can't Methodist Church, we can't put UMC because people know UMC, they're all about homosexuals. So we've got we to gotta rebrand ourselves. And so they change and they, they put on their signs, symbols. You ever notice this? I know we're way over time. But on some, some signs, you'll see symbols. Like, for instance, uh, if you see a Christian church or Disciples of Christ, you might see a, what looks like a glass, a cup with a red X through it. You ever seen those? So that's identifying the churches that are of that religion that do not use real wine in the communion, or if they do use regular wine. Uh, UMC, Presbyterian churches. There is Presbyterian Churches of America, PCA, and then there are the United Pentecost, or Presbyterian churches. There is the worldwide Presbyterian churches. Uh, sometimes with the Baptist churches, it's SBC or NBC or Free Will or Liberty or Landmark or there's 600 different denominations within the, the Baptist church. So I, I want to use a biblical name and I, we identify with the churches of Christ because when we go to other communities, we see churches that are a lot like us. But I, would, I, I can't take Christ's name off the sign. I just can't do it. I, I wouldn't do it. I can't imagine a congregation going, we really want to grow, so we want to take Jesus' name off. Well, what does that mean? Like, can you, how can you do that? We're not a church of Christ anymore. We're just a church. Then what are you a church of? You know? I mean, I think we have common sense, and a lot of other people don't, right? We've got it. We've got it. We don't want to be pious like the Pharisees, but these are simple things. All right, next week we will cover uh, John chapter 8, and we're going to deal with the woman caught in adultery. It's a very interesting little story, and uh, look forward to it. It's 59 verses, so it's pretty long. We may not get through all of it, but that's all until next week. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube. Also, visit our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. 
www.thepeopleshow.com. If you'd like to contribute to the show, content suggestions, uh, questions, prayer requests, or even if you just want to reach out to us, you can email us at rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.